0: For those who don't know me, maybe you came in a little bit late. My name is Jose, campus pastor here at Community of Hope West Palm. And I just want to honor the the band one more time. This Sunday, thank you, Miranda, and the, and the rest of the team for leading us. This Sunday was actually the first Sunday that we engaged with a full band again after maybe, I think, a little over a month and a half, I think it's been. So we're super grateful for the team. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. Uh, Before we begin, I'd like to let everyone know that next week, which is technically our last week in this series, we're actually going to have a panel of resident experts answering some of the questions that you submitted online. Um, And these uh, resident experts actually call community of hope, their home. So we didn't have to go to some fancy seminary to find them. They actually, their professors at Palm Beach Atlantic, they were actually my seminary professors and they impacted my life tremendously. Dr. Victor Copan and Dr. Nathan Maxwell. So uh, we're super excited to have them Dr. Victor Copan is um, a professor of New Testament studies, and Nathan Maxwell is professor of Old Testament studies. So we've got best of both worlds going on, and we're going to take a deep dive into some of those questions on the truth and authority of Scripture. Now, Dr. Nathan Maxwell wanted to show you what he looked like before he had kids. (laughs) That was before he did his PhD as well. Now, after he finished and had kids, now he looks like that, you know. <laughs> you do not want to miss this. He He's always had a sense of humor like that. It's it's a little bit dry, but it's, it's that kind of humor that sort of hits you. And he's not laughing, but everyone else is that kind of humor. You don't want to miss this. Um, you're going to have a great time listening to some of these really sometimes hard questions that we ask about the Bible. Um, and just one little quick aside on that We promised that we were going to let you all know When we would be broadcasting at this campus And so here it is Next Sunday, Sunday the 24th We will be broadcasting the panel discussion From Loxahatchee to here So the panel will be live in Loxahatchee It will be broadcasted to here Just want to let everyone know And so this month We've been challenging some cultural notions About relative truth. In our series titled, True for You with a question mark, true for you but not for me sort of deal. And all throughout this series, the challenge has been to love God with our minds. So we've asked everybody, let's take a deeper dive to love the Lord with our minds as we engage the scriptures and we look for the truth of what the scriptures tell us in light of what culture is saying. And so during week one, we established that number one, absolute truth does exist and it's found in God's word. And we saw some passages of scripture actually that Jesus claims himself To be the truth. In other words, there is no room, there's no wiggle room to say otherwise, to say that there is relativity in the Bible, in the person of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. In week two, which was last week, we dove deeper into the claim of Scripture as to why we believe, really, the, the question why. Why do we believe Scripture holds absolute truth? Why do we believe that? And so we looked at the question of inspiration, which really meant, is the Bible true and can we trust it? And yes, it was guided. The whole process was guided by the Holy Spirit to produce exactly what God wanted us to have today. We can trust it. it is, is it true? And we asked the question of transformation. In other words, it's great that it's true, but does the Bible have significance, usefulness for Us today. And so we absolutely answered that question, yes, and we found in our series verse, Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we found the answer to the both of those questions where it says, All scripture, all scripture is God breathed and is useful. That key word, God breathed being the inspiration, useful being transformation for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, Paul says. And so today, as we begin the descent of our series, I want us to take a look at what's at stake. And this is really the last sermon in our series before the panel. I want us to to look at what's at stake if we choose to ignore truth. What's at stake? I mean, why can't we just keep living our lives whatever we think? What's at stake if we don't adhere to the truth in God's word? <clears throat> so Pastor Dale was telling us uh, a story this week in our teaching team. And uh, he was recounting the story of this guy who got run over by a boat, actually. It wasn't a, a pretty picture. But this guy, he's swimming in the water. And all of a sudden, this boat is coming at him. And by the size of the boat, the man knew that there were propellers that would shred him to pieces to put it bluntly. And so as the boat is is approaching, you could imagine there wasn't enough time for him to dive and he just tries to position himself in the water in such a way where he would not be killed by this boat. And unfortunately, well, fortunately for him, he survived. We're telling this story because he did survive, but he lost an arm, unfortunately. He saw it actually plummet to the depths of the ocean, but he survived. The miracle, we praise God that he survived. But we realized in our in our teaching team when we were talking about this that if he had only been off by a degree, if he had only been off by a degree, he would not be here today. If he had only been off by a little bit. And when I think of this story, it reminds me of the reality of what's at stake when we forsake truth. Because think about this. Nobody wakes up one day and says, I just want to live a lie. Nobody, nobody does that, right? Rather, all it takes is to be a degree off from the truth. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And you'll drift until you can't recognize who you are anymore. It's the half-truths in our lives, really, that are pervasive and catch us off guard. And reap havoc in due time. We often don't, don't think that small lies or half-truths have much of an impact in our lives. But a wise man once said, a little lie is like being a little pregnant. It'll show up at the end of the day. <laughs> Very wise man said that. It wasn't me. I took that one. <clears throat> today I want us to consider this question. What lives or half-truths are we living? Are you living Today? What lies or half-truths might you be living today? Could it be that our inability to live in the full truth of God's word inhibits us from achieving the full transformation that he desires for our lives? Furthermore, how can we protect ourselves from living the lies that are surrounding us in our culture, how can we do that? And I think our scripture this morning is going to point us in a very good direction um, as it pertains to these questions. So would you turn with me to Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Second Timothy 4, 1 through 8, it's in the screen. It's on the Bible app, on the COH app, if you guys have it as well. And so Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter four, he says in verse one, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, he says. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn aside their ear away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you... Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Church, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and the truth that it imparts in our lives. And as your servant Samuel prayed, Lord, we say, speak, for your servant is listening, for your servants are listening to you. Today, would you speak to us through your word, and in this time, would we be changed more into your likeness? We ask in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. So before we dive into this text, it's important that we understand where we're actually, where we've picked up here in the book of Second Timothy. And so Second Timothy, if you're not familiar with it, is actually one of Paul's final letters to his dear friend and protege son in the faith, Timothy, who was a young minister at the church in Ephesus at the time. And so interestingly enough, he's a young minister at this church, right, in Ephesus. It's written to a pastor. Timothy is a Pastor, And that's why this letter is in a uh, really a cohort of letters called the pastoral epistles, the pastoral letters. Um, but they were included in our Bible in the New Testament because really the challenges that Paul says are applicable to all of us, not just to ministers, not just to pastors. But at the time of writing, Paul's in prison for the second time, we believe, in Rome under the rule of the most vicious emperor one of the most vicious emperors in roman history his name was emperor nero he was a bad guy and there was some really serious persecution underway and when that's why when paul says my departure is near he's not talking about a flight (laughs) he's he's talking about a spiritual flight actually he doesn't think he's going to make it out of this one and actually we church history tells us that he likely didn't make it out of this one that was that was the truth History tells us he was actually beheaded. During that time, it was the late 60s, around 80, 68, something like that. But he doesn't think he's making it out alive and you you would think that at the end of his life, at the end of his life, Paul would reminisce he's in this jail, right? And he's thinking to himself, what have I done, right? You would think some people might regret their life if they're nearing the end, but actually, Paul does the exact opposite it only makes his faith stronger and he gives this challenge to timothy to keep going to pursue the truth at all costs doesn't matter if he's in a roman prison about to be killed by the most vicious emperor it doesn't matter the consequences paul says i have run the race i have kept the faith and you need to keep it too timothy We need to keep it too. And so specifically in the passage we just read, Paul wants Timothy amidst his opponents and false teachers to persevere in the truth. And within this challenge, we find three potential warnings. Three potential warnings that if we can heed, will help us live fully in the truth of God's word. And so warning number one, I think Paul warns us, number one, to not have a life too little with God. A life too little with God. Would you notice Paul's language again in 2 Timothy 4 1 and 2, where he says, In the presence of God, notice his beginning here, he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. What a statement! What a statement to begin this chapter. And so I think, in a sense, we could, we could just stop right here. (laughs) Just, the whole sermon could probably be on that one, on that one verse. Do you hear the urgency? In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, I give you this charge, Paul says. He's stating for all of us to hear his worldview. What he thinks is most important, the reason for why he does what he does. Paul was committed. He was super committed. It was important to him. This was the truth that Paul was committed to, and he wanted Timothy, and he wants us to be committed to it as well. You see, some things are worthy of a lifetime commitment, of a fuller commitment. In fact, some things don't work any other way. And in a lot of ways, I think our culture has lulled us into thinking that sometimes we can get away with just a little bit of commitment. Just a little bit of commitment. As long as I'm putting a little effort, it's okay. Just some commitment. And we kind of do this in a lot of different areas in our life. And I sometimes wonder how that level of commitment to God makes us feel. The level of commitment that Paul has, how that makes us feel. You see, Paul isn't compartmentalizing God into a Sunday. He wasn't a CEO Christian, a Christmas, Easter only Christian, right? You can use that one if you want. Uh, he, was, he was not compartmentalizing God into just little spaces into his life. This was the deal to Paul. It was the deal. And most likely we are here because somebody along the way in church history decided that they were going to make this level of commitment to. And that's why we can say we're here. Someone in each generation has been committed to the word and the truth of God's word. They didn't just talk it, they lived it. Paul didn't just talk it, he lived it. And see, on the other hand, I think the problem really is in our culture that we don't just mentally acknowledge or tell lies. That really isn't exactly the problem. The problem isn't just telling them, it's living them. It's when they become a part of our daily lives and they lessen our commitment to the one true God. They influence the way that we think about God. And now I'm going to take it from more abstract. We're going to make it more concrete. And so here are some of the lies and half-truths I think that culture sometimes feeds us. Here's one. God only wants me to be prosperous and wealthy. Hmm. God would never want me to be unhappy. And so I can excuse this sort of behavior just because I'm unhappy. I can live my faith without being deeply rooted in a community of faith. Since God accepts me just as I am, I don't need to change my life. And I don't think we say that one very often. I think we live it more than we say it. Since God loves the whole world, he just let everybody into heaven, right? There's no urgency to share my faith. Or how about whatever's supposed to happen will happen so it doesn't, it doesn't matter if I really pray fervently and dedicatedly. And what starts off as some small cultural lines soon define our view of God and they define our view of Faith. See, Dallas Willard, a renowned Christian theologian and an authority on the topic of Christian spiritual formation, he writes the following in his book, Hearing God. He says, We truly live at the mercy of our ideas. This is never more true than with our ideas about God. Those who operate on the wrong information aren't likely to know the reality of God's presence in the decisions that shape their lives. And they will miss, he says, the constant divine companionship for which their souls were made. In other words, if we believe the wrong things about God, wrong information about God, we will never experience God. If we believe the wrong things about God, if we let culture influence the way that we think about God, we will never experience and live in him. And see, Paul's motivation, which he's trying to impart to Timothy and to us, is that Jesus' supremacy, his lordship, is over and against this world, even as he's facing earthly judgment from Rome. And when we live out that truth that's totally committed to God, it guards our hearts. It guards our hearts and our minds. And so the challenge for us today is to examine ourselves and see if the life that we're leading, have we compartmentalized God? Have we done that? Have we made him a Sunday occasion. Is God the priority of our lives around which everything else is centered? If not, it's impossible to live the truth. It's just impossible if he's not centered. And so firstly, Paul warns us to not have too little a life with God. And secondly, he warns us to not have a faith too high on self. In other words, a faith that is just focused on ourselves would you look again with me at second timothy chapter 4 verses 3 and 4 where it says for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say and I love this line what their itching ears want to hear they will turn aside they're, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. See, when I read that passage, it sounds an awfully lot like the 21st century, doesn't it? <laughs> I often think if Paul knew what would be happening 2,000 years after he wrote this, or maybe there's nothing new under the sun. Because it's so easy in our culture, really, to hear what our itching ears want to hear. For example, Giselle and I were having a little debate earlier this week about Dr. Google, okay? Let me just preface this. I lost the debate, okay? I just, I give her that point. I lost the debate. Somehow we managed to be talking about whether Google, based on the bias of the question, in other words, if I started off the question, is it good, blank, 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 is it bad, with the same sort of sentence so depending on how you started it you'd get two different responses and I said no that's not true and then she said yep you, you sort of get two different responses on what you're hoping for and so specifically we were talking about essential oil diffusers so she loves those having around the house right and so the first when I typed in are essential oil diffusers good for you are they good for you And so I looked on Google, and the first hit, it wasn't even a website. It was just right there. It said, they're affordable, they're versatile, and a convenient way to improve your health and quality of life. Catch this. You can use them to relieve pain and cramping, improve respiratory health, and heal skin conditions. They also relieve congestion, promote healthy sleep patterns, and boost your mood. We're actually selling some in the back right over there. You can... (laughs) Yeah. Then I typed in are essential oil diffusers bad for you and I was hoping to prove it wrong but to my dismay this is the first hit on Google diffusing ingesting or wearing essential oils may have negative health impacts including allergic reactions difficulty breathing and asthma attacks consult your physician before essential oils before adding essential oils to your regimen <laughs> and so I sort of got the answer that I wanted, right? They're sort of both right, depending if you're allergic to them or depending if you're not. But based on the bias of my question, if I wanted to prove it was wrong, I could have typed, is it bad for you? If I wanted to prove it was good, I could have just typed, is it good for you? I could get the answer that my itching ear was hoping for. So the moral of the story is that I lost the debate. That's the moral. Well, this seems funny in regard to essential oils, but people do the same with their faith. They do absolutely the same with their faith. Back in the day before the advent of the online world, there were neighborhood churches with neighborhood pastors, right? In the specific context, dealing with the specific context of those people. Fast forward several hundred years, right? Now we have access to thousands upon thousands of sermons and messages all at the touch of a button, really, And while it's certainly been a benefit, right, to listen to all your favorite teachers and and preachers from all over the nation, from all over the world, that's wonderful. The adverse effect of this phenomenon means that you and I get to pick and choose what we want to hear about God. Between podcasts, YouTube channels, Instagram, Facebook, TV preachers, blogs, it's so easy to seek out the answer that you're hoping to find. And the problem is, just as Paul said that there'd be these false teachers, right, that arise, there's wolves in sheep clothing out there, church. There really are. That unfortunately have taken advantage of the fact that people like to hear what they like to hear. We do. We like to hear what we like to hear, and they create a Christian faith that no longer revolves around Jesus It revolves around us. And they draw masses. And that's why communities of faith are so important. The websites don't know your context. You choose what you want to hear. Your community, your small group, knows who you are. They know what you're going through. And they will tell you what you need to hear. And if they're good friends that love you, they're going to tell you what you, your itching ear doesn't want to hear. It's going to make your ear more itch. They're going to tell you what you don't want to hear. And this is why our teaching team takes this topic so, so, so seriously. We don't want to choose a sermon series just because it's what people want to hear. Are there some nicer sermon series or maybe some less convicting ones that fall easier on the ear? Sure. Are there some harder ones? Yeah. Maybe like this one, you know, we don't want to draw a crowd a crowd and a congregation are two very different things. If you ever find yourself in a crowd, it's not a congregation. And actually the Bible tells us that Jesus' sermon sometimes, sometimes, sometimes they make the, the, his following larger. He said some really nice and encouraging stuff sometimes, but sometimes, other times, he said some pretty hard things and it actually made his following smaller and reduced is congregation. And here at COH, a community of hope, we don't want to tickle ears. We don't want to preach what people just want to hear. We want to share the truth in love. We want to share the truth in grace. Absolutely. Like we shared a couple a couple weeks ago. Truth without grace is legalism. And that's not what our faith is about either. But when we don't heave the second warning, we have too high a view of ourselves and our faith becomes about us and what we want to hear. And instead of being guided by the truth of scripture, we're guided by our own desires and our own passions and we seek out what we want to hear and ignore sometimes the very difficult truths of scripture. Paul's saying, be careful, church. Be careful. Don't have a faith that exalts the self, that exalts your desires, that exalts your passions over and above God. Let the truth of God's word speak into your life. And so to recap, number one, Paul warns us to not have a life that's too little with God. Number two, to not have a faith that's too high on self. And lastly, Paul warns us against having a view of eternity that is too distant. To matter, He warns us to have, uh, against having a view of an eternity too distant to matter. Would you turn with me to 2 Timothy? We're just going to read the final portion one more time, 5 through 8. 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 8. And Paul says, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all your duties, all the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. See, in this last section, Paul is giving his, his final hoorah. He's saying, Timothy, I fought the fight. I've run the race. Even when people are about to murder me, I'm not going to regret it because it's the truth. And I've lived it and I want you to live it as well. In other words, living the truth to Paul, living the truth was worth it. Not just self-help as in it's beneficial for me to live the truth. Actually, physically speaking, it was not beneficial for him to speak the truth because he was about to be killed for it. That's not what Paul is saying Living the truth was worth it to Paul because his view of eternity and the promise of life that comes with it was overwhelmingly greater. Overwhelmingly greater than his current circumstances. Paul's saying, live the truth at all costs. But as is everything in life, it's a lot easier said than done. It reminds me of when Giselle and I go, On vacations, and we have we have very different ideas of what it means to unpack on a vacation. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. It doesn't matter if we're at a hotel for a day or a month. Giselle will unpack all her five suitcases, and uh, and she'll make herself at home in all the drawers. She'll make herself at home. I, on the other hand, I can live out of a Publix bag for (laughs) for a month. I never unpack my bags when I go anywhere really but you see sometimes I think we struggle to have an internal perspective because we unpack in this world we unpack and we make it our permanent home and the things of this world begin to take priority in our lives on Saturday we had a private funeral for Jojo Silla uh, what an amazing woman, her husband, Carmen Silla, an amazing man is here with us today. And the, so devoted to the Lord, they were both. And I was so encouraged as the family was sharing because they, all, they were grieving, but they grieved as those who had hope. And the hope that they had was of their eternal home through the faith that they had in Jesus Because they knew and they understood that this was not their permanent home. This was not Jojo's permanent home. It's not ours. Paul writes elsewhere in Colossians 3, 1 through 3. And he says, if then you've been raised with Christ. He says, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above. Not the things that are on the earth. For you have died with Christ. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul's saying, look up church. Don't look down. He says, keep your eyes up. Don't center your life around the lies or the half-truths that are rampant in this world. Stay in the game. Fight the good fight. Run the race. And so in closing, I want to come back to our original question. What lies or half-truths might you be living today? Maybe you're the grown man who's constantly, who is constantly berated by his father and comes to believe that he is only as good as he is monetarily successful. Maybe you're the teenage girl who's been comparing herself to the mirage of Instagram who comes to believe she must not be as pretty as everyone else and therefore she thinks that she's unworthy of love. Maybe you're the entrepreneur whose business, whose prior business failed after the betrayal of a partner, and now you live the lie thinking that you are a failure. Maybe you're a middle aged woman who was raised by an angry perfectionist mother and decades later still believes she has to be perfect to have peace. Or maybe you're the young person who grew up in in a church with shallow theology but deep in judgment, and now that you're married, you have guilt. And you can't get past the guilt and you don't think God loves you anymore. Maybe you're the person struggling with an addiction who's fallen back so many times. You think that God has abandoned you and you'll never get back up. Here's the truth. Because those are the lies. Here's the truth. It's the Holy Spirit that works through the truth of God's word that will intervene in your heart and bring about the deep transformation in your life when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus and what he's done for you on that cross to forgive you of your sins and give you newness of life. And so as the band plays this final song, I just, I, I wanna open up the altar. I wanna open up the altar right here as we close our series and invite you to come. Invite you to come. as the Lord prompted anything in your heart Any lies or half-truths, doesn't even have to be some of the ones that I mentioned, just something that the Lord prompted in your heart that you need to give to the Lord, that you need to confess, that you need to repent of today. Only you know that. Only you know that. And so as the band is playing, I invite you to come, kneel, prostrate yourself before the Lord and give it to him. He welcomes you home. And he offers forgiveness and transformation only he can provide. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, the truth and the transformation that it, that it uh, provides us, Lord. And Lord, we ask you that you would help us to heed these warnings, to center our lives around you, not ourselves. Lord, and to remember, Lord, the promise of eternal life that you alone give us. Lord, would you speak in our hearts now? Would you uh, prompt us, Lord, with your conviction, with your Holy Spirit, Lord, to, to repent, to confess anything that is in our heart that inhibits a relationship with you? Or maybe it's taking a first step of faith in believing in you, Jesus, and what you've done for us on the cross. We thank you, we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.